welcome to the Voices of War, a podcast with a simple vision, to bring to life the true costs of war through the voices of those who've lived it. I'm Maz, and I speak to soldiers, academics, refugees, peacemakers, and anyone else who's been touched by war, in the hope of demystifying, and most importantly, de-glorifying it. If you like what you hear, please consider showing your support by reviewing the show wherever you get your pods. You can also support us on our Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee page. Links to both are in the show notes. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. My guest today is Dr. Peter Warren Singer, who's a strategist at New America, a professor of practice at Arizona State University, and founder and managing partner at Useful Fiction. A New York Times bestselling author, Peter has been described in the Wall Street Journal as the premier futurist in the national security environment, has been named by the Smithsonian as one of the US 100 leading innovators, by Defense News as one of the 100 most influential people in defense issues, has been added by foreign policy to their top 100 global thinkers list, and has been made an official mad scientist for the US Army Training and Doctrine Command. No author, living or dead, has more books on a professional US military reading list. His nonfiction books include Corporate Warriors, The Rise of the Privatized Military Industry, Children at War, Wired for War, The Robotics Revolution and Conflict in the 21st Century, Cybersecurity and Cyber War, What Everyone Needs to Know, and most recently, Like War, The Weaponization of Social Media, which explores how this relatively new technology has changed war and politics. He's also the co-author of a new type of novel using the format of a techno-thriller to communicate non-fiction research. Ghostfleet, a novel of the next world war, was both a top summer read and led to briefings everywhere from the White House to the Pentagon. His latest is Burn-In, a novel of the real robotic revolution. It has been described by the creator of Lost and Watchmen as a visionary new form of storytelling, a rollercoaster ride of science fiction blended with science fact, and by the head of US Army Cyber Command as I love Burn-In so much that I've already read it twice. Peter joins me today to discuss the impact of technology and social media in the ongoing invasion of Ukraine. And given his background, I don't think I could have found a better guest to explore this fascinating subject. Peter, thank you very much for joining me on the Voices of War. Oh, thank you very much in turn for having me. Now, Peter, you've written on so many different topics, whether it be private militaries, child soldiers, technology in war, uh, role of social media, uh, as well as imagining future wars. You know, the Wall Street Journal calls you a futurist. New America calls you a strategist. You're also a professor and a consultant. That's a lot of hats you wear. Uh, but uh, how do you describe what you do? <laughs> That's a great question. And um, uh, my poor children, um, when people ask them, what does their dad do? Uh, <laughs> they, they have to give a long answer as well. Um, essentially, I described it. I, I wear two hats. I've got my um, nonprofit analysis hat, uh, where I do research and consulting on um, public policy issues, uh, particularly related to technology and security. And I have uh, two homes for that, New America, which is a nonprofit think tank based in Washington, DC. And then I also teach classes at Arizona State University, online classes uh, in cybersecurity. And then um, have my other hat, which is the for-profit hat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And um, that I uh, have written books and then founded a business called Useful Fiction that works with organizations to help them tell their story better. And primarily, it's been um, organizations in the policy field. So we've worked with um, 
the U.S., Canadian, um, British, as well as Australian military, mm -hmm. uh, essentially helping them to transform white papers, strategy papers, um, basically the kind of things that people don't like to read. How can <laughs> yeah. we turn them into narratives that um, both explain the content, but people are also more likely to engage with? Mm. And I think that's your um, and, and your book, Like War, which has been an international bestseller, is, is I guess one of those where you've brought some really deep and interesting research uh, into a narrative form that people can really connect to. And it's very personalized because we all live uh, uh, on social media uh, nowadays. But maybe before we delve into the kind of Ukraine crisis, what does like war mean, the title itself, uh, and why is that title uh, so timely and important? So if you think of the idea of cyber war, which we've all grown you know, a bit comfortable with talking about over the last uh, decade plus, it's the idea of hacking um, networks. But cyber war has an evil twin, so to speak, mm. um, and we call that like war. And it's the idea of not hacking the network, but hacking the people on social networks by driving ideas viral through their likes, their shares, but also, of course, sometimes lies. Mm. And um, we see this play out uh, in episodes that range from um, the rise of ISIS to the rise of Donald Trump to it can have positive effects. We think of all sorts of activist movements. Um, it's used in marketing. It's used by celebrities. And so myself and a young researcher named Emerson Brooking, um, we started on that project, gosh, I want to say um, like 2013 period. Mm -hmm. And essentially, we started out um, trying to understand how social media was being used in war zones. Mm -hmm. And if you go back in time, you know, back then, social media was thought of as either something that um, didn't matter much. It was it was light. It was airy. It was mm -hmm. jokes. Mm -hmm. um, or if it mattered, it was only for the good. Uh, democratizing, um, is, as the New York Times described it, or you think about the Arab Spring. Mm. And we instead, you know, we're like, well, but how's it being used in war zones? And so we started out looking at that, and then we very quickly realized that something bigger was going on. So, you know, it wasn't just being used by groups in war. Um, it was affecting everything from terrorism, if you think about the rise of ISIS, but it was reaching out beyond the war zone. So, you know, ISIS was using it um, to recruit people to come to Syria and Iraq, but it was also using it to inspire acts of terrorism everywhere from um, Paris yeah. to Texas. It had an overlap with um, other bad things like crime. We saw drug cartels using it. We saw street gangs using it. But then we also saw an overlap with politics. So if you were looking at um, Russian information warfare targeting, you know, we looked at um, how it was targeting Ukrainian soldiers in 2014, but they were also targeting Ukrainian politics. They were targeting elections, mm -hmm. um, uh, Hungary, Poland, Brexit in the UK, of course, the US 2016 election. Um, but then when you looked at the tactics of it, you also saw this overlap where, you know, ISIS members were copycatting what Taylor Swift was doing, mm -hmm. or in turn, you had, you know, the biggest online celebrity, Donald Trump, um, become a politician. But then we had the overlap with the Russian information warfare stuff to, mm -hmm. to aid and abet him. So, you know, basically pull back on all of this. Um, essentially, you had the rise of this concept called like war. And the big takeaway lesson was it wasn't just shaping what was happening online. It was shaping the real world. It was yeah. shaping how people 
not just um, thought and what they believed, but their actions, you know, whether they joined a protest, whether they joined an extremist group, uh, how they voted to um, what they thought was the science and the reality of everything from climate change to a global pandemic. And of course, we've seen that play out um, in the Ukraine conflict, Uh, all the lessons, all the research that, um, you know, we surface for like war, you know, it was taken to extremes, put on Mm. almost steroids in the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and, and the particular thing that stands out for me personally is the uh, uh, because you zoom out, but both in your book and your research and your writing, you zoom out at the macro level because as an individual, it's very often we in our little information bubble uh, and we convince ourselves that because the information, in fact, the information finds us, we don't even need to find it. It, it pings in my pocket. Um, you know, it's very easy to 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 get lost in your own rabbit hole and not see the bigger picture. Uh, and I think naming it like war. Uh, really gives a, a poignant title to what is actually happening because most people, I still think, I mean, we, we, our awareness is getting better, but most people don't really uh, think of it in, in, in such a way. You know, I'm merely checking Facebook. I'm merely seeing what my friends are up to. But then there's all these other things that, are, that, that you are being exposed to. How do you think the psychology is playing out? Um, uh, and, and perhaps, uh, you know, after this question, we'll focus on Ukraine, but how do you think the psychology is really playing out uh, on, on the human individual uh, against this, monstrous machine that is, uh, you know, in this case, social media? That's such a great question. And there's a number of elements to bring into it. One is too many people believe that what they see online, they're the one that purely determines it. When in reality, of course, um, social media is, it's a conflict space. It's also a communication space. It's also a commerce space. It's a, it's a marketplace. Um, It's owned and operated by private companies that, of course, are for profit. And so it is designed to maximize your engagement, Mm -hmm. maximize your time on platform, as well as steer you to products that people have essentially sort of paid for, whether it in advertising or the like. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, if you are um, on, whether it's um, Facebook, you dated yourself by referencing Facebook and now everybody's going to think you're an old fuddy-duddy. That's just what our grandparents are on. Um, you know, again, yeah. TikTok, Instagram, um, YouTube, whatever it is, you have um, algorithms that shape what you see, um, recommend what you see, push up uh, on the side, uh, give you greater options. Um, And of course, it's there to as if serve you, oh, you might be interested in X, but it's about maximizing that engagement. And then you have the other cross with it, which is um, the role of others in your network. And that's that aspect of psychology as well, where it's both about maximizing engagement, but also it's people who think like you, people Mm. that you think are right because they think like me, Um, you trust them. And then in turn, when you share it out, you're giving that stamp of trust on it for others to engage with. Um, And so uh, that leads to, you know, one of the lessons of this um, project is to understand that you are simultaneously a target and a consumer and a combatant. 
So whether it's um, Taylor Swift, who, you know, I jokingly think of her as the Marie von Clausewitz of um, <laughs> social media strategy. Yeah. And she yeah. literally, like Marie von Clausewitz, you know, she wrote a strategy essay as a young teen about how her understanding of social media and how she was going to use it to achieve her goals. Just like Marie edited all of Carl von Clausewitz's, you know, turgid prose mm. and turned it into on war. But the point is whether it's um, a celebrity like uh, um, uh, Taylor Swift to a Donald Trump to Russian information warrior or Chinese information warrior or a, a politician in Melbourne or a marketing company in Sydney, whatever it is, they identify you, not just you as an individual, mm. but the category that you're within. The profile, your profile. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, figure out ways to reach you. In turn, you are a consumer. You take that information in. You decide whether to click on it or not. They try to get it to you, but you decide whether to read it or not. But then there's that combatant side, which is the real goal is to get you not only to consume it, but for you to share it out, to take that point of view, to take that side, whether it's the side of that political party, the side of that nation in a conflict, the side of that brand, and then you to put your stamp on it and carry it forward to your network so it goes even more viral. Mm -hmm. um, one of the other psychology things that's really interesting is that when we looked at examples of um, things that went viral, whether it was um, awful things that went viral, um, ISIS propaganda, or good things that went viral. Um, think of Ice Bucket Challenge. Mm. They all had these elements that consistently tried to um, tap into that psychology side to get you to join in. Um, it was provocative. That uh, I don't mean like it, you know revealed mm. skin, mm. but rather mm. um, it it provoked a certain kind of emotion, happiness anger. Uh, another element of it is it um, consistently they create a sense of community. Um, it's not just you, it's you joining a group and we're part of a team, we're part of a squad, we're part of a cause. Um, it tries to enlist you in that and then you begin to identify with it. And then those who don't agree with you, they're the other side. And again, mm -hmm. that's whether we're talking about good things or bad things, they all kind of followed the same pattern. Um, I'll just end here by saying um, the challenge of this for democracies, for kids that are just doing research for their school report to members of the military is we're constantly bombarded with this. Most of us are on these networks, but we're actually not trained. Um, we're not given, you know, what we would think of as almost like digital literacy skills. So uh, I know a lot of members of um, your audience are um, on the military side. So think about how um, you receive training in cybersecurity, um, mm -hmm. you know, awareness, yeah. don't click that link, um, have good passwords. And yet you're targeted by everything from Russian or Chinese information warfare, not to click the link, but to take that point of view to marketing, to um, if you're in the U.S. military, we've been hit by some major issues regarding um, anti-vaxxer conspiracy theory and the like. And yet most don't get training in how do I handle the information mm -hmm. warfare side of things? And I think that's a major gap in um, uh, 
are, you know, whether you're thinking about professional military education or you're thinking about, again, you're um, a kid who's just doing school research, you got to get that kind of training so that you, you know, don't go on um, YouTube and suddenly your school report is, um, you know, describing how aliens built the pyramids. Mm, yeah, that's a such a wonderful summary of, of what is a, a huge, huge problem. Um, and social science gives us the tools. I mean, we understand, we know what type of biases we have and how programmable we are. We we like to delude ourselves with this idea that we're autonomous, free-thinking beings, uh, which we you know know fully well once we start looking at the research that we're absolutely not. Uh, we are all susceptible to uh, our own biases, our confirmation bias, our in-group think, uh, and of course, social media just amplifies has taken this to scale. Uh, and the other point I want to pick up on is that I really that really speaks to me. Oh, sorry, you want to jump in? Yeah, please jump in. I want to jump on that because you, yeah, you raised uh, really good points. So, so there's one is that um, we're all shaped by that, and and yet it's um, you know everybody thinks it's someone else, right? Mm, you know, yeah. so um, yeah. we think we're the exception. Yeah. yeah, we're the exception to the rule. Um, uh, and having that kind of self-awareness is, is really, really challenging. And, and again, it kind of, you know, it's part of, um, you know, being trained up and, and then look, you know, I, I'm not claiming to be perfect at it either. I'm like the, on, on social media, I'm like the, you know, the, the doctor, um, who, you know, is telling people not to smoke. And then I'm like, you, you might catch me out, you know, puffing mm -hmm. on a cigarette, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. even I fall into this, but there's mm -hmm. another part of it. Um, and it, it brings in the work that we've been doing on useful fiction, which is, um, uh, when we're trying, when we're not just on the consumer, but when we're communicating outwards, when um, whether we're writing a memorandum or uh, a PowerPoint or a speech or a white paper, we know that humans are not persuaded purely by fact, purely by a series of bullet points. And yet... How do we consistently communicate? We keep on doing it the same old way. And so that's what we've been um, trying to bring in with the useful mm. fiction approach is, you know, don't replace the, the, the white paper. I mean, you still need it. You mm. still need mm. the memorandum. But let's bring in also the oldest communication technology of all, which is story. Because the human brain is more reactive to story because, you know, evolution, we've literally mm. been using it since we were gathered around a fire in a cave. Uh, PowerPoint, it's 31 years old. So, you know, of course, it's not going to be the best way to connect. And so it's that 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 part that you bring in those those um, the psychology of how we consume the psychology of how we communicate. We we want to think that pure logic, pure facts, just I, I marshal the right set of bullet points and, and that'll win the day. But that's not how it persuades us and that's mm. not how we need to persuade others. Yeah, absolutely. And and the power of story in, in its persuasiveness is 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 unchallenged, unrivaled. Uh, and of course, this is why we see you know, things like uh, uh, conspiracy theories take hold because, you know, disparate facts are weaved into some grand narrative, some grand story of a puppet master that's, you know, pulling the strings. Uh, and of course, because it invokes emotions, uh, people respond to it, which is, which and, is and the, the power of conspiracy. Yes. I was going to say, the power of conspiracy theory is, um, you know, every good narrative, uh, whether it's, you know, we're t telling a, a, a true story Mm -hmm. um, to we're building up a fictional story. Narrative is not just scenario, it's character. Mm -hmm. um, and the power of conspiracy theory is the character 
is always the target audience. You're the hero of the story who figured out mm. the truth that this group out there was trying to trick us all with. And you realize it and you're the hero who is now telling others the truth. And that's why conspiracy theory is a really, really powerful um, communication approach because it turns whoever it is, they always believe they're the hero of the story. Um, even, you know, the, the, the person who's standing on the, on the um, soapbox screaming craziness uh, um, or they're doing it on Twitter, they believe they're the hero because it, it's conspiracy theory creates, it, it adds in that element of character. That is, yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. That speaks so much to me, given what you know what we've gone through uh, in with with the pandemic. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, and I even have people in 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 my close circles who have kind of who've gone down that rabbit hole and 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 have become, as you said, their own heroes. You know, they're standing up to the, you know, to the mass narrative, the mass media narrative, the those who are trying to deceive us, you know, for their own nefarious um, motivations. And this brings me to that, to, to the second point I want to make, which is that one of the things that social media has done is taken us from active, and this is what you're talking about, from, from kind of passive recipients of information into active, uh, you know, heroes, warriors. Uh, you know, we can, we can have our voice heard, uh, in fact, seen through our videos that we might post and so on. Uh, and maybe this is a good way to pivot to, uh, Ukraine right now, because I think that's something that we've really seen is that, uh, you know, traditionally civilians in war have been passive, voiceless victims who, you know, we, 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 we see snapshots on CNN or BBC or newspapers of, you know, uh, lines of refugees fleeing. And, and I was one of those. I was in one of those kind of images myself, uh, 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 you know, fleeing from Bosnia, Sarajevo. I was a passive, uh, you know, victim or survivor. But now that's very different. We're now seeing those same refugees, those same people who are, uh, uh, you know, living in cellars, hiding in, in you know, from, from the invasion, who are beaming out videos and images uh, to the world. What are your thoughts on this? Because I, I've, I've read your Politico article. I'll put a link to it in the notes. Uh, you really capture this, well, arguably rather new phenomenon that we're seeing uh, of how social media has been uh, weaponized. Uh, maybe get some thoughts on that. It's such a powerful shift in communication technology that then shifts the way that um, we see and then in quotation marks experience the conflict. And I say in quotation marks because it's, you know, this, this, it's like this, you're, you're there, but you're really not there. And let's be very, very clear about that. And of course, you know, you've got this personal connection. And what I'm getting at is that there's a shift in the um, who, there's a shift in the when, there's a shift in the where. So the shift in the who, um, you used to rely on the media to be the one that determined what was the news out of all the events going on mm. in the world, the media, which is literally the term for the middle. It's mm. the profession mm. in the middle mm. that would select which of the news to cover. And then in turn, how to cover it, what narrative to put on top of it, what explanation, et cetera. And then it would send it out through a set number of, 
channels mm-hmm. and the channel might be the radio station the channel might be the newspaper that um and so instead now anyone potentially is part of the media whether it is the ukrainian um civilian who pops something on tiktok as they huddle in the subway from bombing or as they um uh, dance around a, a, a destroyed BMP mm. laughing about it. Mm. Um, the media can be a leader. Um, one of the most powerful things Zelensky has done is, you know, he's literally, he's YouTubing himself as he's walking down the street or meeting um, with soldiers. Um, the media can also be the inadvertent. It can be the Russian soldier who unintentionally puts information out there and in turn, we can all consume it, see it, digest it. That's a shift in the who. You have a shift in the when. Um, It's all in potentially real time. So it's not waiting hours, days, months, you know, go back in history and think about, you know, how long people used to have to wait for information flow to circulate around the world. Um, it, it can be, you know, it can be shared instantaneously mm-hmm. and that gives a rapid speed to it. Right. And then you've got the final part of it, which is the where it's, um, the information can be collected anywhere, um, anywhere that there's a smartphone, anywhere that there is a traffic cam, anywhere that there is, um, uh, you know, you know, Eastern Europe well. So, you know, a lot of the really cool and and striking imagery of Russian military buildup before the conflict was actually from um, dashboard cams and the cars, which people had there to document wrecks, not to document Russian military buildup. But the point is, it can be gathered anywhere. Oh, by the way, it can also be gathered by civilian satellites, et cetera. Um, but in turn, it can be consumed anywhere. You can consume and then you can analyze that information and share it out, whether you're sitting in your office or you're sitting um, um, on the subway. You can mine that information and go share it out with your friends, or you can document, hold it, I've just found evidence of um, this Russian military movement over here and share it out with the world. Mm. Um, it's it's incredibly powerful. Now, let's be very, very clear. In no way, shape, or form am I saying, you know, conventional warfare is ended or, you know, the, the, the physical fight doesn't matter. No, absolutely not. It's just the information space is now wrapped up within the physical battlefield and of course the geopolitical battlefield as well Mm -hmm. and i think ukraine is just a a a powerful example of that where on the information side we've seen the um uh ukrainian um government narrative um serve to help keep its soldiers and civilians in the fight as opposed to the russian goal Mm. of you know causing a very rapid collapse you've seen this sort of unifying effect you've seen this we can win you've seen um stories of heroicism of martyrs etc um take off mocking the russian soldiers etc but that part of keeping them in the fight it's equally been important that um its effect on the narrative outside so part of the taking off of the Ukrainian message 
in our information ecosystem, whether it's in Australia or the US, is that it's what's led to the delivery of mm. thousands of anti-tank and anti-air rockets. That is partly how the Ukrainians have been able to cause such pain on the Russian invaders to it's also led to the massive financial and economic sanctions, not just from governments and unexpected governments. I mean, Mm, yeah. And Switzerland yeah. is joining in the sanctions. <laughs> and Sweden is giving you arms. <laughs> yeah, you've lost the information yeah. war, right? Yeah. But again, that part matters because, of course, um, it's not just the physical toll on the battle that um, hopefully alters Putin's calculations. As much as I would like, I don't know if he's going to be persuaded all that much by Russian soldier losses, mm-hmm. but the effect on his economy, the effect on um, what that means for Russian politics of these massive sanctions, etc., which is driven by that information warfare side, that again circles back to you know affecting the the flow and hopefully the end of the overall overall war itself. Yeah, and it, th- there's a there's a clear asymmetry in the Ukraine use of information and the power that it's garnering through it and of course the global reach it's almost they've really opened all the taps you know to to communicate to the rest of the world whereas russia has done completely the opposite it's completely turned the taps off it's closed off uh, its inter- internal information domain uh, and it and it's controlling we're trying to control uh, the narrative so so tightly that it makes it really a, a, an asymmetric war how, on this how much how important do you think is the I guess the 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 justice or, or the justness of the Ukrainian struggle. How important is it in the victory of this information war that we're seeing uh, from the Ukrainian side? I think it's very important, but it's not the only causal factor. Um, so you know, let's pull back and and I think what's been so striking to people is not just as you laid out the Ukrainian um, message, the Ukrainian side has um, won out in the information war, but but who it's done it against, right? You know, the supposed Russian masters at mm. it. Um, and I think there's a couple of um, elements at play. One is um, the Ukrainians have actually been the ones who've been masterful this time around. Um, and, uh, part of that is that, you know, they and the wider world, um, has been studying, has been watching, has been learning. So, you know, I described it as, um, you know, if you compare to what Russia was able to do in Ukraine in 2014 or U S election in 2016, um, it was effectively pushing against an open door. Um, same thing throughout most of the Trump administration. Um, and, a lot of what it was able to get away with um, wasn't possible as people learned their tricks, their tactics, their, you know, let's be more formal, their TTPs. Um, The battle space also changed in terms of the platform companies themselves altered a lot, altered what was allowed. Um, So, you know, uh, back in 2016, you know, during the U S election, for example, um, there were more than uh, 60,000 Russian bot accounts that shaped narratives. There was more than 3,000 um, known Russian sock puppet accounts. So um, bot algorithm driving mm-hmm. overall trends, sock puppet, a, a, a 
real person, but behind a fake account. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, A lot of that low hanging fruit that the Facebooks and and the Twitters were allowing in 2016, they're no longer allowing now, Um, you know, a little bit too late, but Mm -hmm. at least they they caught up. Um, So the Ukrainians, you know, it's been essentially, as we were talking about earlier, the space had changed and they brought in all sorts of best practices. Um, and, and they were aided by this wider network of governments from the US, NATO mm. to online networks of activists and um, um, security analysts. So um, that was one key. Um, basically, US, Ukraine, Australia, um, sort of all these forces learning lessons and doing it better. The mm. second problem is um, a disconnect uh, between Russia's kind of operational needs and Putin's political needs. So his information warfare side, he had to push the narrative, um, both targeting Ukraine, but also the West, but also his own audience of I'm not invading. I'm responding to an emergency. And secondly, um, fait accompli. It's 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 just all done. Um, Ukraine, you've collapsed to West. Why would you even think about um, putting in harsh sanctions? Ukraine's already collapsed to his own people. This is not a war. It's it's over. It's easy. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a special operation. And the problem is um, he needed that for political reasons, but it didn't match the reality of, you know, essentially, obviously it was an invasion, but also there was no quick collapse. And so you had that kind of disconnect. Um, and then the third is what you brought up, which is the um, justness of uh, the cause. Um, obviously, that that's powerful. That's important, um, not just to us morally and politically, but obviously the narrative side, the David versus Goliath, who are you going to choose? You're going to choose David. I think there's also something else going on in terms of, um, this is, I don't have the analytic side to support. It's kind of a gut feel, but, um, there's been so much bad going on. There's been so much, um, mm. uh, you know, whether it's pandemic, um, extremism, division, and um, a lot of those issues, it's been, um, sometimes it's been hard to figure out the, you know, how to handle it, or it's been kind of gray. Whereas um, this, it is just, it's so clear there. Mm. And I think we were all kind of waiting um, for we needed, a, we needed an enemy. We needed a new enemy yeah, to, to feel good um, about uh, about being good. <laughs> I think that feeds into it. But again, let's 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 do a counterfactual. Mm. Um, let's imagine you know it. Ukraine's invaded. Um, it's it's cause is you know it's being beaten up on by a um, bigger neighbor. But let's imagine a world where um, Ukraine doesn't handle the information operation as effectively. Um, the Russian invasion forces are not documented weeks beforehand. Um, Zelensky uh, doesn't um, communicate effectively. He acts like Putin. Um, mm-hmm. Zelensky, let's imagine Zelensky only gives briefings uh, from a palace at the end of a long table, or even worse, he acts like the leadership did in Afghanistan. Zelensky gets on a plane and, 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 and leaves Ukraine with a, briefcase full of cash Mm, um mm. imagine a world uh where um uh that happens 
um, imagine there's not um, the uh, kind of global movement to pressure corporations. Mm. I mean, are you really going to stay in, in Russia and do business? Imagine if that doesn't happen, even if the um, Ukrainian cause is, as you know, you know, the, they're the, they're the victim in the story. I don't think you have the same kind of outcomes. Mm. And mm. I think that counterfactual illustrates, you know, the importance of, of the information side of the fight. It doesn't mean it's determinative, but I think it really does show the value of it. And it's also democratizing war in many ways, right? Because we as active consumers of social media information, you know, we're, we're, we're telegraphing or signaling, uh, you know, our support uh, and, and asking our governments to do more. And, and, and I'm sh- I have no doubt that that's played a role in Germany, you know, why Germany dropped its uh, Ostpolitik and, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Nord Stream 2 has been turned off and Germany's arming with, you know, F-35s. Uh, or, or Switzerland, or uh, you know what I mean, Sweden. That's been neutral for what you know, two hundred years, uh, is now giving weapons. Uh, I have no doubt that that is partially because of the power of social media and the narrative that constituents in these various countries uh, have embraced and 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 have stood up and and have, I guess through their voice or through the sheer mass and the scale that it's gone to. I mean, we're seeing even the US, right? I mean, even many Republicans who were largely pro uh, uh you know Russia uh, have now sided with the with Ukrainians I think even Trump uh has now you know talked of Zelensky as a hero which is I mean that's that's really following your your constituents right <laughs> uh, that's that's pivoting uh, to where the momentum is going right you could get whiplash by just <laughs> how rapidly we've seen both you know historic policy changes by nations, but also um, quite hypocritical uh, shifts by politicians. Mm. Um, And, you Mm. you know, you hit it exactly right in terms of, you know, historic shifts in um, European politics um, and, and, you know, motivated both by the threat of Russia, but also by populations that were once divided on key questions now coming together and saying, you know, no, you know, we're not this policy we support. I mean, you think of like um, even, you know, Germany, the example I like to use is that, you know, there was a, okay, well, we ought to aid um, Ukraine. And the first thing that the government did was offer um, 500 helmets. (laughs) Um, And its own populace was like, no, 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 that's, that's no, I mean, so the government's like, well, we're going to, we're finally going to aid. And then we're doing our part. (laughs) Yeah. And and within 24 hours, it had shifted to, oh, we're actually going to also give um, rockets. Um, So you've got that, but then you also noted that just, um, the incredible, uh, and I'll, I'm just going to show my own politics, the incredible, fascinating and disgusting shifts by certain politicians. I mean, you've got, you know, Trump, who um, is on record, it's not me making it up, it's mm. his own quotes describing Putin as a, quote, genius, Putin mm. as, quote, savvy, um, related to Zelensky. He literally shook down Zelensky um, for, he said, uh basically held off giving military Mm, aid. mm. Why don't you, I believe the quote was, why don't you do us a favor? Um, This is the infamous phone call where it was, we're going to hold off your, do us a favor in front 
find dirt on my political rival, Joe Biden, and only then will you get your military aid. And then after all that, he's suddenly out there. Oh, yeah, um, uh, he's actually a brave guy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or a different example would be um, uh, our former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, who um, literally screamed at a journalist one year ago, um, do you think Americans care about effing, yeah. to use the actual word, mm-hmm. Ukraine? Mm-hmm. To a year later saying, oh, this is why we ought to be giving more aid to Ukraine. Uh, I mean, it's 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 craziness, but that's actually part of, um, uh, you know, something to be uh, aware of in social media is the concept of what we call gaslighting. Um, And gaslighting is when you basically sort of push a reality that um, doesn't match reality. But if you just keep doing it enough, 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 you hope that it sticks and creates a an information bubble, as you noted earlier, around your target audience that they believe it. And so even if you're on record saying X, if you can just keep saying why, 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 maybe people ultimately will believe or enough people in your own information bubble will believe that you stood for Y rather than X. Yeah, which is incredible. I mean, and again, that's part of the human psychology, right? We are so, so susceptible and vulnerable to it. And because there's so much information, uh, you know, coming at us, it's very hard to to remember what somebody said a year ago. I mean, three days ago, let alone a year ago. Uh, and we can, uh, again, you know, and I really like the term in your, you use bandwagoning, you know, the bandwagoning effect uh, that we're seeing. Uh, I, I wonder, do you see, and, and I'm conscious of our time, and, 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 and I'll uh, wrap this up uh, soon, but uh, while I have you, I just can't, uh, uh, I can't help but ask you the dangers of what we're just talking about as well. I mean, because we're seeing, you know, as we just talked about, this kind of virality uh, of, in this case, it's, it's uh, you know, objectively the right thing to do. Uh, you know, and of course, I'm biased, but I consider Ukraine to be the victim here. And therefore, what's happening in the information space is, in my view, and of course, yours as well, is the right thing. Uh, and most of my audience will agree. However, and you're a futurist, in the future, we can potentially see the use of these same technologies and the same emotional triggers that they invoke in us, um, you know, as we're seeing in the pandemic, for example, in some uh, elements of the society, we could potentially see the same for other wars, uh, you know, that where, where we have information uh, and social media be, being weaponized to support uh, certain wars uh, that may not be as just and righteous uh, as we're seeing the resistance uh, of the Ukrainians. H- how do you view that particular problem and, and can we even do anything about it? I think we've already seen it within this conflict. I mean, I've been very transparent with you that I'm I'm, I'm trying to be analytical, but mm-hmm. I also I'm a human and and I live in a democracy mm-hmm. and I'm I I believe in Ukraine's side is right compared to the Russian mm-hmm. invader, mm-hmm. but even within that, you know, we've seen examples of um, uh, a a good illustration would be um, the uh, stories of the ghost of Kiev, um, Mm. the uh, Ukrainian fighter ace who, you know, reputedly shot down six Russian jets within um, the first hours of the war 
or the defenders of Snake Island, um, who, you know, when the Russian Navy ship tells them to surrender um, and they say, you know, go fuck yourself. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And and then uh, supposedly all of them are killed. And then it turns out that um, each of these, uh, like so much in war and the internet, mm. has an element of truth in it, but is maybe not 100% um, factual. Yeah. So um, Ghost of Kiev. We definitely had Russian... Uh, jets shot down over Kiev. Was it actually six? Yeah. Not clear. Was it actually all six shot down by a single individual? Not clear and probably not true. Um, defenders of Snake Island, it turns out that they all were not martyrs, mm -hmm. that um, at least some, or maybe uh, it's still unclear, but that they may have been captured as mm -hmm. opposed to being killed. And what was really interesting is that in the when you've seen these um, kind of, you know, follow-ups that say, okay, but X happened, we've documented. In the comments, there's um, people saying, you know, normally I would care about truth, but why don't you give this one to Ukraine? Um, yeah. You know, they got so much else going. And, 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 and so that's something to be um, aware of. Uh, another um, issue, of course, is... Um, to uh, be aware of, we, we call it the concept of card stacking, mm -hmm. where, you know, there's a, there's an overall war, there's all the cards, but you're seeing just a couple elements of it. Um, they're ones that people present to you and, or you're more drawn to because of they're in your network or you find those stories more powerful. So, you know, if you um, just, followed um kind of most of our feeds it would be only imagery of russian tanks mm. being blown up or russian um units being defeated but at the same time if you pull out a map you'd go well you know i, I saw these examples of russian losing but hold it they've actually seized you know a lot mm. of terrain and so you get you know two different viewpoints and so again that's something that's happened already within this war. And as you note, we're going to see it in any future war. Um, everybody's looking and learning from this. I think an interesting question to kind of end on is um, what are we learning? What are our militaries learning from um, the war in Ukraine? Um, we're learning the importance of the information warfare side. We're learning um, the, uh, you know, here's how you do it, um, how you do it well, how you don't do it well. Um, we're obviously learning about a lot of other technologies out there. I mean, you think about the the discourse around um, uh, drones, uh, yeah. unmanned systems. I mean, you know, it, it used to be, oh, well, that was, you know, either they don't matter or they're just good for um, counterterrorism, counterinsurgency. And obviously, we're seeing them play a pretty significant role in a conventional fight. Um, but what are other nations out there learning from it? Um, as an example, of China. Exactly. And yeah. I think that China is learning um, from this uh, a couple of things. Um, one, uh, don't let the information environment um, uh, stand up and be there to be utilized by your adversary. Uh, the Russians um, left up Ukrainian networks for two reasons. One, um, they thought it was to their advantage. They thought that they would be able to push out information that would rapidly collapse the Ukrainian mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. um, second, 
they logistically depended on it. Uh, um, you know, they're literally using civilian yeah. cell networks and the like. I think a China looking at like a, a Taiwan scenario goes, yeah, that's we're not going to make that kind of mistake. Um, I think the other thing a China looks at is this larger um, global coalition of democracies and corporations that um, came together to um, punish and sanction Russia. I think China looks at that and says, okay, what do we need to do over the next several years to keep that from ever happening to us? Mm. Both um, how do we ensure that um, we're less dependent on these financial systems, you know, so what they did to the ruble, um, they can't do to our currency. Um, But also the flip side, how do we make sure that they're reliant and dependent on us so that all the different economies and, and corporations that could fairly easily walk away from business in Moscow, don't walk away from business yeah. in Beijing. Yeah. Um, and I think those are the the sort of questions that are going to be with us for, for years to come. Absolutely. On that note, Peter, I'm conscious of our time. So I uh, really appreciate the time you have given me and we've uh, gone a little bit over as well. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, deeply insightful, uh, as I expected. Uh, and I hope to speak to you again in the future. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Voices of War. And since you got this far, please consider showing your support by liking and reviewing the show wherever you catch your pods. Also, if you're able, please consider showing your support through our Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee page. Links to both are in the show notes. Thank you, and until next time.